0: tried to stop my shine but I said hold up y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up Tokyo talk boy. the music these hoes ain't no Craig on his 10th show said these hoes don't know Craig on his 10th show Hey! Thought he couldn't do it, but he could! Thought he wouldn't do it, but he would! Ha! 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 ha, Hi! How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? We're back, we're back! How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Say we back, say we back! What's up, y'all? I am back! I am sorry I missed y'all last week! I was traveling. I was all in Baltimore. I was talking about my memoir, All Like a Bear, my life in the strip club of the Gay Gay Washington, D.C. for a um, class at McDaniel College. So I apologize. But first, I need to let y'all know, it's Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. But you know where you are because it's where you're at. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I'm a veteran music journalist. I said veteran real veteran like i'm a veteran music journalist been in this game for 20 uh, over 20 damn years at this point um but you can catch up on me if you choose if you care at rnbing.com um i'm an author i'm the author of luther the life and longing of luther Vandross, a good old biography of the r&b king the r&b god um and then i'm also the author of a memoir all I Could Bear. I just damn said that. Oh, but anyway, it's All I Could Bear, My Life in the Strip Clubs of Gay Washington, D.C. That's a memoir about how I was a stripper hoe in grad school. Read all about it. The kids are learning about it. The kids are, te- uh, you know, reading it in school. So, hell, you know, keep up. Um, and then I'm the author of a novel, Who's Your Daddy? About three generations of black gay men looking for that good old love. And of the upcoming... Um, special, A Critical Meditation on the Life and Artistry of Janet Jackson. And that's coming soon, y'all. I know you're like, but you don't said it's supposed to be out. I know, I know, I know. But, you know, it's, you know, I'm a one-man band. I'm doing it. It's, you know, independent shit. It's black business. You know what I'm saying? And I just need to finalize a few more things just to get it right for y'all, because I know I'm going to get read for filth if the shit ain't right. So I'm saying, let people wait a while, a little while longer, and get the shit right, you know. So I won't get red as opposed to just throwing some out, and y'all gonna be, well, why didn't you do this? Well, why didn't you do that? Well, here, look at this typo here, and then why didn't you talk about that? I don't want to hear it from y'all, so uh, that's why I'm just taking a little bit more time to get a little bit more right. Um. So anyway, you know, we're gonna do what we always do right about this time, and just talking about my pop culture. You know, what I've been watching in the pop culture universe for the week. You know, my picks and whatnot. Um, this week is a little bit different because, honestly, I usually start with music, but I don't really have a whole lot of new-new that I've been listening to. I have a whole list of stuff to check out. Um, stuff that came out, like, today. Um Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis have a new single out, um, their first solo single. Y'all probably know, but if you don't, you can read about it in my book or you can hear about it now. But, um, you know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, after they left the time and um, prior to Control, they were going to put together like a little group kind of like chic or something that was called the secret where they were going to record little tracks and everything but it was kind of going to be kind of like a mix of a studio group and maybe they would go live you know it was an idea in development but um the two of the tracks for the secret were you could be mine um on Control and also, what have you done for me lately? Was a secret track, so but anyway, so they never got allowed to release, that cut to all these damn years later. And they're finally releasing their first solo track, and it's a cut. Um, I can't even remember the name of it, y'all, but anyway, um, you know, you can search it on your Spotify's or your if you're like me on your titles because I support black businesses. Um, and it has, um, you know just singing as Ann Nesby on it. You know, you could never go wrong with having Ann on something. Um, you know, I'm still wearing your name and just all that kind of stuff. Uh, and also, um, Big Jim Wright, you know, who we lost last year, was it? But, um, you know, who we lost that was just um, just such a crazy, crazy, um, incredible talent and just worked with so many of, you know, our faves. And I still just have to always go back to... The performance that he and Janet did on the Rosie O'Donnell show of I Get Lonely. I mean, it's just so, just, it's just such a soulful, you know, stripped down moment. And um, just really, you can see what he brought to the table. So anyway, that's all on the new Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis um on the new Jimmy Jamit Terry Lewis single. And then also the Anderson .Paak album um has some crazy features on it. It has a lot of people, you know, like my loves, like Layla Hathaway. And then it has good old Smokey Robinson doing his thing. It has Jasmine Sullivan. Where's she at? We need a new album. But anyway, she's at least showing up for a couple of minutes on this Anderson .Paak album and Brandy. So I'm going to check that out probably after we finish recording after i finish recording this but um you know so there's that and the only song that i really you know kind of into this week um that came out this week is the K Tronada and van jess um is it von jess or van jess um child i'll be listening to different music too i don't even know let me see uh it is Van Jess. I thought it was Van Jess. Anyway, uh, so the Van jess Trinata, um track is called Dysfunctional. And it's really, you know, he just, Katronada, he just comes up with these tracks, and they're really modern and electro, but it's kind of like a modern and electro take on, like, an old-school roller skating jam. So I just love them, um, and Dysfunctional is really that track, and... um. If you don't know K Trinata by this point and you jan fam, you definitely should check out his mix of if. So just, just Google his mix of if. Um, and if you're a Sean Mendez fan, as I proudly am, what and what, um, you should definitely check out the K Trinata mix of Where Were You In the Morning, because that is quite hot. And if you don't know the female duo Van Jess, Van, like I just verified, um, you have to check out their album from last year, Silk Canvas, because that's really good. It's like modern R&B, but that's really rooted in the 90s. You know, you listen to the tracks, you're going to hear a little bit of hint of Aaliyah here and there, a little bit of Velvet Rope here and there. And they're two sisters. They're, um, you know, kind of like Chloe and Howie. They're Nigerian-American. And something about their voices... um kinda brings to mind um one of my favorites, Karen Wheeler, you know, who we first got to know via Soul to Soul. And um interestingly enough, like that that um Soul to Soul's Club Classics Volume One, the album, you know, they gave us Keep On Moving and Back to Life. That's actually um celebrating its thirtieth anniversary, I think this week. Or so, so, you know, shout out to that. And this is just crazy random, and I'm just saying it just because it's like the Soul to Soul 30th anniversary and stuff, and it's Soul to Soul related. But did y'all know that um, there's a Soul to Soul mix of George Michael's Freedom 90, you know, the song with the video with all the supermodels in it and all that kind of stuff? Um, Because I didn't until they re-released Listen Without Prejudice with the... um, You know, with some some extra tracks, the expanded version of that album, and it's crazy because it's soul to soul mix, and he's straight singing "Back to Life" over the Freedom ninety over like Freedom ninety. He's serving you all sorts of cold fresh air. Feel the melody that's in the air. air, All sorts of that realness. So um, that's just interesting. So you might, if you um, didn't know about that, you might want to check that out. Um, freedom. It's called Freedom ninety, the Back to Reality mix. Um, but that's all I got for y'all musically this week. I'm, I'm I'm gonna do better next week, but that's um, that's basically all I got for you this week. Um, on the TV tip, uh, I watched, of course, the um new FX series Fossey Verden, and that's basically because I've been obsessed with Bob Fossey since. I saw his brilliant semi-autobiographical film, All That Jazz, um, at the very inappropriate age of 11. But anyway, that's the way it was in the 70s, and I saw it. And, um, you know, he's influenced, in terms of, like, modern pop, he's influenced everything from, like, the Paula Abdul's Cold Hearted Snake video to Beyoncé's Get Me Bodied and Single Ladies And kind of the premise of this show is showing how his marriage to actress Glenn Verdon is kind of like a corrective, trying to um, correct the historical record by showing how much of a role she played in his directing and choreography and all like that, and um, to the expense of her own career. So it's really kind of like, um, really bringing, you know, and that was such the way of those times, the 50s and 60s, 70s, you know, 80s, whatever, but just where women would contribute to, um, you know, whether it's the artistry or the business or whatever of their husbands and then not really get um, recognition for it. So I think it's really great that we're kind of go in this time where we can reassess and we can look back and really um, start to talk about these kind of gender issues, um, especially with regard to a marriage, you know, and just the roles that women had in um you know, Because I think a lot of times when – and this is kind of like – I think a lot of times when we think of divorce and stuff like that, we think of the whole concept of tr- like a traditional marriage. Maybe the man's going out working or getting his law degree or doctor, or becoming his um, medical degree or whatever, and like wifey is holding it down at home. Which enables him to go out and do that, but I think there's also the paradigm, which is certainly the um, Fosse Verdon thing, where the wife is actually a major part of whatever the husband is doing, and didn't get that kind of credit um, for that role, and probably still holding shit down at home. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think is I think we really these conversations are very very necessary um, to have, and I think that that's a good thing that the show is doing. The problem that I... Oh, and also, Michelle Williams is pitch-perfect. is Gwen Verdon. You know, I've been down with her ever since Brokeback Mountain, you know, Jack Twist, Jack Nasty, ever since that scene. Um, You know, so she's great in it. But overall, the problem with the series, I think... Well, I only watched one damn episode, so I'm talking about this. The problem with the episode I watched, with the first episode, is just that it is so hard when you're doing a series about somebody that's like a great director or especially a great director i think because it's very i mean you're talking about one of the best film directors and stuff and so i'm judging the tv show based upon that and it's like they're trying to recreate scenes from you know some of Fosse's great work in sweet charity or cabaret and it's like i'm looking at the shots like well i'd rather just see the um original versions, you know, so it has that weird thing going on, but I'm going to check it out, you know, I at least want to stay, um, it's only 10 episodes, so I'm going to stay through it, you know, at this time, we're just buying time till Pose comes back on, so, in terms of FX, so, you know, I'm going to stay through it, but, um, we will see, and the other thing I watch, you know, I watch, I'm not a sports person at all, but, um, I watch, the, Netflix has a show on called Losers, and it's about, like, sports people that were, you know, very, very talented and almost at the top of the game, but they just stopped short of like getting that championship ring or getting that gold medal or something like that and it tells their stories. So, you know, it's a fascinating concept. Um, even though I don't really care about sports and I probably won't write watch another episode until I there's another person that I know about and care about. But one of the episodes is on um the ice skater Soria Bonaly, who I was obsessed with in the 90s. I mean, she would get out there and just give you all sorts of black girl magic all over the ice. You know what I mean? And um, I just, I mean, I loved watching her so much. Like, I would just get, it's that inspiration you get from, like, just watching black excellence where you just feel empowered. You just feel like, yes, you know, I can go out here and make my mark in this arena. So, you know, and I was all, and I know she ain't get the goal. I know she, like, fell and stuff and ain't get what she I thought she was gonna get so I've been interested in that story so um I watched that um particular episode and um I highly recommend it it does a really good job of like showing what she was up against because she in a lot of ways faced the same things that like Venus and Serena are talking about like that or that we saw them experience in tennis you know where she was called like she had an attitude and she ain't dressed right and you know she was too flashy and she was too athletic and she wasn't ladylike enough and all that kind of stuff I mean she faced the same thing on the ice that Venus and Serena were facing on the tennis court so it's interesting and what I really like about it is the show does a great job of showing how like you know no spoiler zone here but just ultimately you know you are left feeling very empowered and uplifted by the situation, even though the situation, you know, when she was on the ice, it went left, you know, it's kind of the way you make a life from that. And, um, you know, that shit ain't the end of the world. It ain't the end. of. It's not ultimately doesn't. I mean, any sort of achievement, it ultimately doesn't define who you are. But I think as we're caught up in our day to day and we're, you know, hustling and we're trying to make a difference and make our mark and stuff like that it's easy to forget that. So I think that's one of them things that we always need to be reminded of. Like as we're out here chasing our goals, doing our hustle, that is great. But the end goal of that is not necessarily like the defining thing. It really is all about the journey, even though that sounds cliche. And like I said, it's very easy to forget that when you have your eye on that destination that you want that so much. And that's the key to like, you know, you getting recognized in your field—that's the key to you paying off your student loans. That's the key to so much that you have wrapped up into. It gets easy to forget about the journey, but shows like this, I think, help remind um us of that. So I would really recommend that. That's Netflix Losers. Um, and like I said, I just watched the Sawyer Bonaly episode, and that's probably all I'm going to watch. But that is a very good episode, and then I'm just back to watching, you know, Sabrina and shit but um but yeah and you should check out you know you want to make sure your netflix is all good and warmed up and acting right before um beyonce's homecoming next week so you know watching a good episode of losers is a good way to kind of make sure everything's right with the netflix you know because you don't want to show up and i don't know you ain't paid your bill or something you know and netflix ain't right you don't want that to happen when you're trying to watch the homecoming you want everything to be good and right so um That is that. And then, um, but you know, for me on TV, this was really like the um, week for documentaries. Because another thing that I really recommend is I would watch the first part, well, the first two parts, but they aired together, of PBS's um, Reconstruction after the Civil War. And I will have to say, like, even if you think you know history and whatnot, uh, this show will still, I think, have you shook just thinking about you know, how much potential there was for some kind of racial equity and things right after um, emancipation. And just, it seemed like so hopeful and so full of promise after, you know, not that long ago, people, you know, who were enslaved didn't have no hope, didn't ever think that this system of oppression would end. And then all of a sudden it did. And then you know, it was, uh, you know, can you imagine that going from a situation where it's completely hopeless to you actually feeling like you have some hope and are able to act upon that? But then shit just got all kinds of fucked up. And the, um, this PBS series really goes through that. And it's so important to have that context because it's like, you know, it really has taken us from reconstruction, you know, back in the 18 whatevers. To um the '65s, you know, and stuff like the '60s and '70s, um, till now, when, you know, it's just now that we're having serious conversations like about reparations, where it's not like, it's not an intellectual conversation, it's not something you know Ta Nehisi's writing about in the Atlantic or anything like that, but actually, like our political candidates, um, candidates are um talking about it, you know, our presidential people that want to be president. And that's deep. You know, there's that leap to where um, reparations actually part of a national conversation and not just a part of things that are happening among people that are, um, you know, working for social justice and everything. So it's just really interesting to see how almost like just, uh, I mean... I don't know, it's just incredible. It's just really incredible, like how deep the fear of black empowerment and black, you know, the ability of black people to vote and to stuff like that, how much that struck a fear in white people to such extent that it really founded the basis of that white identity that was um, formed in direct opposition to blackness. That wasn't necessarily always such a hard line um so you know it's very interesting i would definitely check it out the new episodes come out that it's just four episodes so in two parts so the next ones come out next week but i would definitely catch up on that you know um and then lastly this was kind of random but i finally watched that documentary 808 about the Roland drum machine and I really liked it. It was something I was just watching. I don't know. I was watching it on my phone for some reason. It just came up. It was an Amazon Prime type thing. You know how sometimes that just comes up on your phone. But anyway, it was really, you know, it's just, you know, of course I know the, you know the power of the 808 in terms of, you know, how important it was to records I love and stuff like that. But just having it all, again, just like the rec- reconstruction thing, just sometimes documentaries do a great job of, like, breaking stuff down and kind of putting stuff we already know into a frame that is, um, you know, that just makes us really recognize the importance of things. And just understanding the, and the interesting thing about the 808, again, no spoilers, but I didn't realize that it actually had a limited run, that it wasn't like something you can't just go buy it all the time. Like, there were a certain number of 808s that were made, and they were also made from a defective part, So once they couldn't get that defective part anymore, that they were knowingly buying, knowing it was defective, but that was the key to making, um, this, the, it await sound like not real drums, but just something altogether different. Um, once they couldn't get that part no more, they stopped making them. So it's just amazing that out of that limited number of machines, um, came so many genres, you know, um, Different styles of like early hip-hop, freestyle, house, electro, drum and bass, and so on, and so on, and so forth. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and kind of on a related note, but moving on to books, um, I finally finished um, Hanif's um am I pronouncing that right? Adderabkiv, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But anyway, his book, um, Go Ahead in the Rain, notes to a tribe called Quest. And obviously from the title, you know, you get that it's a personal appreciation of tribe, but overall the way it kind of came across to me is it's just a beautiful poetic love letter to hip hop in general, is the way that I've felt about it. I mean, acknowledging hip-hop's many elements, it's kind of diverging and converging histories and aesthetic trajectories. You know, and it makes sense that it was poetic because um, Hadith is a poet. So, But it's just um, some really wonderful parts. And one, the part I really loved about it that really touched me so much is when he was writing about um, the importance of sampling to hip-hop and, like, what that means in terms of um, paying sort of um, respect to the music that's come before. And I'm just going to read a little part. Um, He says, The art of the sample is also the art of breathing life into someone who doesn't doesn't have a life anymore. The wind blows a memory of someone into the room through sound, and the architect captures that memory with their bare hands and puts it on wax. So I just thought that was—I mean, what? How have you ever read a more poetic um, description of sampling and the importance of sampling and how that keeps um, tra- certain, you know, sort of sonic traditions alive and everything? So, again, I would check that out for anybody who um, really lovers of great music writing. You know, I think that's definitely—it's um, just such a. It, it, I mean, like, he does this thing, like, he, he sets another kind of, not a bar, because all the music, music, different music writing, you know, it. there's a lot of different ways to do great music writing, but in terms of that kind of personal approach to the music and kind of integrating personal history with musical history and that kind of thing, I think he definitely um, kind of set a new standard. So shout out to him. And I do recommend that. So, lastly, let's move on to the good old cinema. Um, I just saw Little a couple of hours ago. Everybody knows that's the flick with um, where, you know, sort of a super tech businesswoman played by Regina Hall um, through uh, some kind of magic um, is turned into a. 13-year-old, and, you know, hijinks ensue. Um, and, you know, I was so excited about the film because, um, and again, no spoilers, but just, you know, Issa, I love Issa, I'm insecure addict Regina Hall. I've been telling y'all to see Support the Girls. You know, I love her, and then I like Marseille from um, Blackish. I'm just, I'm not going to tell y'all no plot, twi- or nothing, I'm not really trying to frame... Well, I'm not really, you know, I'm not going to review it like soup to nuts. But I do feel like I need to tell y'all what to kind of expect going in. Because if somebody had told me that, I think I would have taken it in a little differently. Um, Like... But let me just talk about the performance. Before I even get into that, let me just talk about how great the performances were because um, that's unqualified. Like Issa, she's again doing her thing, what she does best, kind of pulling humor out of awkwardness. You know, Regina Hall, Regina Hall, Regina Hall. I don't know how many times I can say that. Um, she's just, it's like a living, breathing acting masterclass. She brings so much warmth and depth and heart to a role that really could have been one note and then um you know so she just really does her thing with that i just but i just love her um i think she's no matter how much you think she's great i think that's still she's still underrated from that level because she really just um i think she has such untapped potential and she just brings so much like i said kind of heart and soul to her roles and she's able to be like Deeply moving and also a complete, you know, completely hilarious. So, shout out Regina Hall. Um, and then 14 year old Marseille Martin, who y'all probably know as she's one of the twins from Blackish. And she actually came up with the idea. Like, I knew she had come up with the idea for Little, and she was an executive producer. And that makes her the youngest executive producer in the history of Hollywood. But what I did not know is that she actually came up for the idea of Little and pitched it to the studio when she was 10. So we're talking about, like, A, this is something like every other Hollywood project is couple, is years in development. But just the, um, you know, the precociousness of it all, I'm shook, you know. Um, And so she's a revelation. I mean, she's fantastic on Blackish, but really nothing prepared me for the range that she displays playing an adult trapped in a teenager's body. I mean, she really, you know, that is a very difficult thing to pull off. It, it really, she really does make you think like is a grown ass woman inside, you know, a little ass body. So shout out to her. Shout out to, um, you know, young black women making power moves in Hollywood and everything like that. Now, all that said, I mean, the primary thing that I would tell people, particularly grown-ass people, before they see the movie, is that it definitely skews younger than at least what I had expected. You know, given what the ads say and given, you know, the ads are always talking about, like, from the producer of Girls Trip, from the producer of Girls Trip. So, like, not like I was expecting a Girls Trip-level adult this but i was expected a little bit closer to that than what i felt like i got you know what i mean like i feel like the film definitely puts the 13 in pj PG, in pg 13 so just be aware of that and you know sitting in the movie theater you know i always watch the trailers to try to tell y'all if you um should get there on time to see the trailers and I thought, you know, having just seen Us, I thought it was just weird that, like, wasn't really... A, I thought there would be some crossover, the films that I saw with in Us, you know, because they were black films. And I, then none of those, I didn't see no Shaft. I didn't see anything like that. But at one point, they played... the, uh, um, At one point, they played a trailer for the Door and the Explorer movie. And I was kind of like, um, who they think is seeing this film want to see... Dora the Explorer. I don't have nothing against Homegirl, but like, I ain't going to see no Dora the Explorer film. Like, and nobody I know in my demographic uh, is trying to see a Dora the Explorer film, unless you're trying to be that good, unless you're a parent, or you're trying to be that good uncle or auntie. You know, so I was like, hmm, that's a little eyebrow raising, but whatever, I'm good. And, um, like I said, I just think it's really important that you know this aspect of the film before going in to set your expectations. Like y'all going to spend a lot of time in junior high school in the film more than you might have expected from the um, trailers and stuff. So just know that. Um, And the other thing that I would say, like it's a little ridiculous to complain about, you know, plot holes and things not making a hundred percent sense in a film that's inherently based in something that's absurd, you know, uh, a grown-ass woman turned into a little girl but at the same time it's like the movie is kind of longish like it's um it's pushing the two hour zone and so i feel like they were trying to keep it low so they were probably editing a lot of things out and just you know just so you're gonna there a little bit of like stuff where you kind of going and now what they doing, and why are they doing that? Like, you know, it's just, you feel like you're missing that one little, even if it's like a 30-second thing, you're missing that one little link. There are a lot of little moments like that. Um, but all said, like I said, I'm totally glad I saw it. And I'm a person that walks out of films. Like, I'll just be sitting in a film, and, and I don't even have to hate a film to walk out of it, but i would just be thinking about, like, should I need to get from Target? And just all sorts of things, and just be like, you know... This and just I maybe I'll catch the rest of it on cable sometime, but you know, I just I have shit to do, so I'm just leaving. Like I walked out of the as much as I love Rihanna, I walked out of that ocean film. I don't even know Ocean something, what was Ocean Eight, Ocean Somebody. I walked out, not I wasn't even like it wasn't like I was really not liking it to that extent. I just kinda at some point didn't really care about what was going on. And like I said, I had shit to do. So I'm glad I saw this. You know, I never felt like I wanted to leave. Nothing like that. I would recommend it to you as long as you know what you're getting into. There's some fine-ass eye candy men in the film. You got the good old Luke James and um, Justin Hartley from This Is Us. So, you know, you definitely have something to look at, you know. Um, But like I said, just as long as you know what's up, don't go hiring no babysitter. Like, don't go incurring no extra expense. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, maybe go, maybe go in the afternoon, maybe go on matinee, you know, when the kids are at a play date or something like that. Like I said, like the more you calibrate your expectations, including your financial expectations, I think the more that you will enjoy it, you know, don't necessarily get the jumbo popcorn with butter and a whole bunch of stuff. Just maybe get you a small, you know what I'm saying? Like, just really try to keep the expenses kind of on the low just kind of make it real casual like and I think um you know don't build no date night around it just like I said just keep it real casual real oh let me see oh it's cute oh I love Asa I love in Marseille so cute and Regina's good you know it's kind of like that experience so like I said if you do that I sincerely think that you will enjoy it and you know shit what else you gonna see you gonna see that tired Taraji flick where she you know whatever tries to redeem the KKK ass white man. I mean, ain't nobody trying to see that. So what else you gonna see? So anyway, so that is it for me this week. Um, I thank y'all for, you know, this is the 10th damn show. Like I thank y'all for whatever you're doing. If you even made it to this, this is your first episode. You even made it this far. If you ain't even make it this far in the episode, you just speeding through trying to figure out when I'm going to talk about little. Whatever you've done, you know, anything you've done with relationship to my podcast, I appreciate You know, especially if you've, like, shared it with somebody or even if you give me feedback and just say something, you know, just encourage me to keep going, you know, because it's like any creative endeavor, like, you know, it's, you know, it's fun and everything to get started, but it's the hard part is to sustain and to hold on and everything like that. And Like, I love doing it, so y'all that love it and tell me you like it and tell me, you know, you can't wait for the next episode, that just means so much to me, um, you know. And just so whatever you've done, if you listen to one episode, if you listen to all 10, I just thank you because I'm at 10 now. I'm going to keep going. And, um, you know, thank you guys for, I'm trying to, this was here, I'm I'm. stopped saying you guys. So thank you all for um, just supporting me and adding another creative outlet to my life, basically. And um, so I appreciate that. I appreciate y'all. And I thank you. So, as always, you know, what we do at this time, be cool, y'all, be kind, be creative, and in the words of my good old fave, Shaka Khan, be your damn self. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, thank y'all. y'all. Number 10, only way to go is more. Um and I love y'all, and I'm out. Okay, talk to y'all next week. Bye.